listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we're joined by a different type of guest. He is the co-founder of Land Profit Generator, Jack Bosch. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm super excited, Sterling, to be here. Jack, could you tell us a little bit about how you got into real estate and what specific niche you're in and kind of how that differentiates you from, from our typical guests that we have on the shows? So we got into real estate by accident, or not by accident, actually on purpose, but not planned. So I, I had a job. I'm from, originally from Germany. My wife is from Honduras, Central America. We're both immigrants here to the country, met here in college when we're here to finish our college degrees or do our college degrees. And we decided to stay in the country and pursue the American dream, right? What is the American dream? Get a good job, work a lot, uh, <laughs> get raises, get promotions, buy a house, have a nice car, go on a week vacation a year, and that's it, right? <laughs> well, Work long enough to where you can not run out of money and go bankrupt before you die. <laughs> exactly right. So work for 40 years, 50 years until 65, hope you have saved enough money, then go retire it very modestly and, and hope you don't run out of money before you die. Exactly. So that was the plan in essence, but well, we didn't really put much thought into that plan. That's what everyone does. So you just fell into line and just did what everyone did. And a few years into it, we realized we, we're now liking it. We're not liking this. We're, we're more in depth than we ever were before. We were sick and tired of, I was traveling hundred percent. So out of that kind of like dissatisfaction with the status quo, of just making enough money to pay the mortgage, to pay the car payments, pay a couple of other credit card bills and, and things like that, and then have barely anything else left. We're like, I mean, that's, and then have two weeks vacation where you can't do anything, particularly from outside the country. And you want to go visit your family in Europe. You can't, it doesn't make sense to go to Europe for five days, right? So sure. it doesn't make sense to go to Honduras for five days. So just, we couldn't make things work. Just our life was not how we wanted it to be. Plus we were separated all the time. And my wife and I are known as, Jack and Michelle, not just, not as Jack and Michelle, we're Jack and Michelle, we are constantly together. We're really weird in that, but we love it. <laughs> and uh, so the pandemic right now was not a problem for us. We just love hanging out together anyway. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's all good. So we looked around and we stumbled into real estate through Rich Dad, Poor Dad, to, to tax liens, tax deeds, not getting any of that going. And then finally, we stumbled across land by coincidence we started contacting some property owners who owed property taxes and everyone that answered back to us was a landowner that didn't want their land anymore. So we got our first piece of land for $400, a nice piece of land, an acre next to another property and then next to a house across the street from a house in a rural community. So valleys are not crazy, but they were worth like $8,000. We got it for 400 bucks and we sold it to the neighbor the same day we bought it for, for $4,000. We was like, okay, that works. <laughs> and, the, and the best part is we didn't have to know much about real estate to make that happen because we didn't have to estimate repairs. We didn't have to get uh, contractors out there. We didn't have to go look at the properties, smell all the ugly house smell, and, and, and we didn't have to fix roofs or, or check out roofs or, or be there for surprises. With, it was just a piece of land that was reasonably worth $8,000 because others down the street had sold for six to $8,000 and and we got it for 400 bucks. We sold it for 4,000. Two weeks later, we got a 40 acre parcel for 500 bucks. And we go sell that one for 10 grand in a matter of 10 days online without ever seeing it. 
and we're off to the races. Soon enough, we're like, why do we mess with houses? Forget about these houses. <laughs> Let's just focus on land. And for the next six years, we only focused on land. Only then, when the market was down, we did we start to look up and, and bought uh, single families and apartment complexes and stuff. Now we have a portfolio of everything, commercial, apartment, single family, but we make our money still with land. Awesome. So I have some friends that have done land flipping and I've always been interested in learning more about it. I'm afraid of it. So I, I do rental property investing and typically I know like this is how much I, I put it down and this is how much I can rent it for. And you know, worst case scenario, I cut the rent in half and I can still at least pay the mortgage. So, you know, I've never even flipped a house. I, people always think I flip houses because I always fix them up. But reality is I've never even sold one. And it's just the whole like, the fear of not being able to sell it for what I expected to sell it for. How are you so sure when you're picking out land what the, we call it the ARV is going to be, how much you're going to be able to sell it for, and then how fast you're going to be able to sell it for. Especially in those rural areas, I would be scared that it would sit on the market forever and it's not cash flowing you anything in the meantime. And I'm not suggesting it's a bad idea. I'm just saying like, that's that, those are my reservations sure. having no education on the subject but being very intrigued and wanting to hear uh, you know the answer and that's a totally fair question and a lot of people ask us that question particularly since we now teach this too and have educational sessions and stuff so the simple answer is there's two or three reasons why no reason number why why we're not worried about it number one is when you we don't buy these properties anywhere close to market value we typically, we have developed a method to finding the people and the properties that we think that the owners no, don't want anymore. And that's typically properties anywhere between $5,000 and $200,000 in value. So we're not in the super high priced multi-million dollar development land kind of thing. Plus, we're focusing on three kinds of properties. Number one, infill lots, which sell like this to a builder. Because if you get an $80,000 infill lot for $20,000. What, what did you call it? Infill lot. Infill lot is a lot. Think about a street, 35 houses, one empty lot. That lot is ready to be filled in. So it's typically called an infill lot. So that lot, if the neighborhood sells for three, four $400,000, that lot is worth $80,000. If we get on a contract for 25K, we can go to any builder in town, offer the thing to them for $50,000. They'll jump right on it because it's a bargain to them. How would you find that lot for $20,000 if Every we use bill. direct mail, but I'll go into that in a second. But just to, to finish, the second round of properties we're focusing on is lots right in the outskirts of town in the path of Grove. So where the last development ends, starting there, like anywhere, depending on the size of the city, between like 10 miles and 50 miles out, is still in the vicinity of the city. Like 50 miles outside of Atlanta, Georgia, is still close to the city. 50 miles outside of a town with 100,000 people, you're in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah. So it's like, depending on the city, as you go further out or closer by. And then the third kind of area is like mini ranches attract in attractive areas. The key though is by focusing on these three kinds of properties, each of them have a built-in buyer pool. The infill lots have the builders as a buyer pool. Properties in the path of growth have also financial buyers that want to buy their way to the city to approach or retirees that can't afford to retire in the city. They want to retire a little bit outside, but still be close to their doctors and to the grocery stores and the movie theaters and the family and so on. And the third one is people who just want to have, how, how would you feel like having your own ranch? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? What is a mini ranch? 10 acres plus, oh. property, road access, sometimes 40 acres, 
Uh, and 40 acres is a quarter mile by quarter mile. That's a nice piece of land. Sure. So you can put a cabin on there. You can bring your RVs. You can horse around. You can- you're, you're preaching to the choir. I've spent the last five years looking for a mini ranch, but I, I settled on a much smaller mini ranch. So I just bought a two acre property on the edge of town, but I was, right. I was hoping to, yeah, there to we sell. go. You, are so exactly you, don't, you don't, you don't have to sell me your dream. I get it. Perfect. I didn't even know about that. You're exactly, and guess what? You're exactly in the two categories, outskirts of town and mini ranch right there. Right? So they have a built-in buyer's base already. So therefore that accelerates the sale. So we don't want to buy a piece of junk land in the middle of nowhere, whether for the next four hours driving, there's nothing to be done and nothing to be seen, where the entire area itself is completely unattractive. Those areas we avoid, we don't go there simply. We have a method to identify which are those three areas that we like for anywhere in the country, and then we go after those. And there's hundreds of areas like that in the United States. So the next part is then, how do we sell them quickly? Well, the first thing is, how do we make sure we sell them then we make offers. We don't pay market value. We offer 5 to 30% of market value. That was my next question. How do you determine how much you're going to pay? So we like we have a formula, whether we're buying multifamily or we're buying a house to fix up and, and rent out, where it's right. you know, typically want to be at like 70% or whatever our formula is for whatever our business plan is. But with the land, it sounds like you've got huge margin. So I'm just wondering like where you start with that initial offer. Right. So we, off, we start at 5% if the property is at the bottom end of the value range. Because if I, have a, if I make an offer on a $5,000 property, I can't afford to offer $2,000 for that property. Because after closing costs, I'm in it for three. And if I want to sell it and I want to sell it quickly, I got to give a bit discount. I have to sell it for three. I don't make any money anymore. So the only way to sell, to buy a $5,000 property and still make money is by offering like 300 bucks for it or 250 bucks. So I do like a 5% offer to the $5,000 property. I offer 250 bucks. Now after closing costs, I'm in it for 1,000, 1,200 bucks. Now I sell it for $3,000. The buyer buys, his pace is the closing cost on the buying side. Now I'm making basically $2,000 on the property. That's not great, but hey, it's better than nothing. Or, and here's the other part, we often like to sell our properties with seller financing. We love seller financing. Sure. So I take that same $5,000 deal and I buy it for, I put it on a contract for 250 bucks with closing costs, I'm in it for 1,000. I go sell it for 5,000 with a $1,000 down payment and monthly payments of 150 bucks for three years. Now I'm collecting over the three years $8,000. Now I made $8,000 on the deal and I get cash flow. Now, on a $5,000 deal, that's not that sexy. But what about a $30,000 deal? You do a $30,000 deal, you buy it for $4,000, you sell it for $30 with a $6,000 down payment, and you get $400 a month for the next seven, eight years. You made $45,000 profit on that deal with no money in the deal because you got more as a down payment than what you paid for the property. So it's, how do we know we make profits? By offering so little, we know somebody's going to offer more. Worst case scenario, you break even, right? Worst case scenario, you make a little money. But the other part of are we also very, very confident is that we actually, typically our students mostly don't buy the property because we're dealing with people who truly don't want their properties anymore. They don't care about signing a contract with a close of Estro six months down the road. 
So we got a deal on the contract. We're doing the exact opposite of the house flippers that say, we buy your house in seven days. The wholesalers, yeah. Like the wholesalers, right? We do like, hey, we take the burden of property ownership off your shoulders because these properties have no back, uh, usually have no back taxes. They don't have a mortgage on it. It's just people that own it for 30 years or heirs that inherited it. They just don't want to keep paying the property taxes. So they're like, yeah, as long as you take it off my shoulders, I don't care if, it, if you buy it half a year from now, a year from now, or tomorrow. So they, they're happily signing these agreements where we commit to only buying it six months down the road. And our contract includes a provision that allows us to remarket the property while we have it on the contract. So we have it on the contract. We go market the property. We find a buyer and then we do a double closing or we do an assignment. And the worst case scenario is, happens rarely, but sometimes it happens. That's just something was estimated wrong or it just truly is an area where there's nothing going on. It just doesn't sell. In which case, we send out a few letters, get a property under contract, do a little marketing, it doesn't sell, then, okay, we cancel the contract and it just goes away. But if you have 10 deals on a contract, you should be selling seven to nine of them and only one or two of them ends up perhaps not selling for whatever reason. And usually because there's a fault on the property that you discover later on. But even there, you can then renegotiate with a seller you can get the price back down and so on. But bottom line is we are really at zero risk here because we don't buy the properties. We put them on a contract, we market them, and we find a buyer. We do a double closing or double escrow, or we do an assignment or things like that. And unless you're 100% sure that you got a bargain of the century, that's the only deals where you can go put your own money in and buy them. All the other ones, you don't put any money down. Plus, our contract doesn't even have a provision for an escrow deposit. So we have done 4,000 deals plus, and we have never put a dollar down as an escrow deposit. So the seller <laughs> gets nothing. The seller doesn't keep anything. We have nothing at risk. If the deal doesn't happen, if the deal doesn't go through, we don't buy, find a buyer. We just cancel a contract and we, haven't, we have lost exactly zero. Awesome. I love it. Tell me more about your acquisition process. You said you mentioned direct mail. Elaborate a little bit on that. How do you target? You mentioned, you know, the areas in which you're looking in, but specifically, how do you target and determine who you're sending direct mail to? What do you put on the direct mail campaigns? Are you doing very minimal and just, hey, call this number? And then when they call, you kind of pitch them or you putting an offer on a card and sending it to them? Kind of. Right. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Uh, there's multiple questions in one question here, but uh, try I have to a add. bad habit of that. Sorry. Yeah, so that's all right. So, so we have a process where we, number one, we identify areas that fit into these three categories that I mentioned earlier. So we like growing areas, but not super fast growing because if they're super fast growing, nobody wants to give their property up for pennies on a dollar. So we like nice, stable, nicely growing areas in the country. We like cities. We like outside of the cities. We like those attractive rural areas. Like think Branson, Missouri. Branson, Missouri is like this town with theaters, with shows, with stuff. And yet it's in the middle of nowhere. Lots of people like to go retire there, like to have like 10 acres, mini ranches. They go from, from the different big cities, which are like in a two, three hour drive distance. They go there for the weekend. They hang out. They go for dinner in Branson. So there's something ex exciting. Think Smoky Mountains. Right? You can get there from Charleston, you can get there from Atlanta, Georgia, you can get there from, from Kentucky, you can get there from all different directions. It's attractive, there's cabins, it's hiking, it's lakes, this thing is beautiful. Right? Think about Atlanta, Georgia, the city is always growing. Think, uh, so you just go outside of those. So we, we pick areas like that or pick counties like that that fit our criteria 
And then we focus on properties that are like typically, again, they're a piece of land, typically worth between five dollars to $200,000. We like to send direct mail to other state owners first. There's, we like, if we have the data from the county or from the data service, we like to look at how long they've owned the property and then prioritize the ones that owned it for decades over the ones that only, only owned it for months, even though the ones that owned it for months could have inherited it, right? You don't know that. So we get as much data as that. We then deduplicate the data. We send out a mail piece and the mail piece we send out is one letter. It's not a series of things. It's one letter because we're dealing in an environment where there's almost no competition here. There's no house flippers acting here. There's no builders typically don't run around looking for lots in the outskirts of town and things. There's literally, there's almost nobody active. Even though we have been teaching this for 12 years, there's 3,000 counties in the United States and there might be 1,000 people doing this in the country now. That means there's three counties for every investor out there right now. Now compare that to Phoenix, Arizona, where I live, where there's probably 1,500 people just in the city of Phoenix looking to flip houses. So it's a complete flip of, of competition. So they respond in droves because, well, as you said, land doesn't cash flow and land, like any other real estate, has property taxes. So what happens is these people are sick and tired of paying these property taxes. Nobody has ever sent them a letter. So we don't have to send them a series of five postcards or something like that. We send them one letter and they respond in the, in about our response rates is between three typically and 10%. That's good. Which is obviously pretty, pretty darn good. So is there any like no fly zone? So I live in South Louisiana and we have flood zones and rural areas and wetlands and, you know, just it's like a lot of things that you can obviously buy that are worthless. So is there part of your criteria that weeds out so you don't end up buying a bunch of land in the Everglades? What are the areas you wouldn't invest in? Well, We have very clear instructions that perhaps go beyond the scope of the session here right now. But for those who who get in one of our programs, there's the very first thing is we teach them exactly how to select these areas. So we like to be outside of these bigger cities or if we go into a rural area, it needs to be a solid rural area. So if you're talking about like the swampy areas of like that you see on TV where they go shoot alligators and stuff like that. That's where my wife's from. (laughs) <laughs> okay. All right. So that's probably not a county that I would pick unless I can see on the map that there's like a line. Like I've seen counties like that where you see like you go below the street and it all looks like swampy and stuff and you go above that and there's a whole bunch of little towns and villages and it looks all solid. I would still pick a county like that, but we do a further analysis. We look at how many properties have sold there in the last year? How many properties have been listing there? Is there activity going on? So we're, we don't just randomly pick counties. We pick counties that we have a reasonable expectation that we can be successful in and where there's demand for properties. So the chances are and if, if half of the county is all swampland, then there's probably not much land moving anyway. And we would stay away from that county in the first place because it doesn't fit our box. Does it make sense? So yeah. instead, we would go, we like to go like outside of these bigger cities like Again, Denver, Colorado, Atlanta, Chicago, Tallahassee, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, you name it, whether it's Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas, where there is very little swampland. But the nice part is that because it is land, you're not restricted to where you live. Like we have a whole bunch of, because I'm originally from Germany, the word gotten out in Germany that I do this or that we do this, my wife and I, that we do this. 
and, and our team. And people have been coming to us now more and more. So we have now an entire group of coaching students in Germany that successfully doing deals in the United States from Germany, even though because of the pandemic, they can't even fly over here. So they're doing everything 100% virtual. I mean, it sounds like a majority of your deals are in other states and cities than you yeah. live in. Is that not common practice that you probably don't go visit any of them? It is common practice that you don't go visit any of them. Okay. You can, of course. At the beginning, we did because we didn't know we couldn't. So we just went uh, every weekend and looked at properties. But then soon enough, we realized nowadays, particularly with Google Maps, Google Earth, the county geographical information system, the GIS uh, systems, they pinpoint, you just put in the, the parcel number, you press a button, up comes a map that shows you exactly what a property is. Yeah, and I feel like you could learn more about land from the computer these days than you could from walking it, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, walking is fun. And yeah. I encourage everyone to at least go like once and look at the property once it's like a close-by property. But yeah, you, you don't have to go there at all. We haven't personally looked at any property. We and none and nobody in our team has personally looked at any of the properties we flipped since the year 2007. Oh, wow. So in 2006, seven, we still occasionally went out to look at properties, but since then, haven't gone out a single time anymore. So you've been doing this since before the last real estate crash. So, yes. so you've weathered the storm there. And I'm curious, how was the process affected by the, the, the cycle? So did, is this a recession-resistant process? What does it look like when values start to fall and raise? And 100%. So yes, it is recession-resistant. What happens is that the kind of land that we deal with is actually a lagging indicator of a recession versus like the million dollars, like the homes are, homes are a leading indicator. So like typically, particularly new homes. So a home builder will stop like the foot traffic stops and the interest stops in the properties before the economy tanks. Our land, because we're dealing with individual buyers, that's a lagging indicator because it's something fun for people to buy. And they're only going to stop buying that or buy it at a slower rate if they run out of money. So, and that happens only half a year or so after an economic impact happens. So what happens is that if a, if a big shift, when a big shift happens in 2007 and 2008, we, our business continued to be just fine until then prices came down. But when prices came down, all we needed to do was adjust our offering. There was about a three to six months period where the sellers held out to the higher prices and the buyers kind of wanted to only pay lower prices. So there was a little bit of an adjustment period. But right after that, the, the sellers realized, oh, the market has shifted. So the sellers were now selling at even lower rates and the buyers were buying at the lower rates. So our margins were a little smaller, but we marched right through and continued uh, flipping land like crazy during, the, during those days. So in other words, when before we would buy a property or put it on a contract for $5,000 and sell it for $25,000, now we would put a property on a con the same similar property on a contract for $2,500 and sell it for $12,000. So we, our margin wasn't 20 anymore. Our margin was only 10 hey, but that's still pretty good in an sure. environment contraction and you can still continue doing deals like that. And then it was like that for about a couple of years until about 2011. And then in 2011, it started picking up again because we leveled out. And then 12, 13, 14, it just started going up. And right now, this actually works better than ever, particularly actually because of COVID. Because COVID has 
First of all, people save much more in COVID. It's strange. There's a lot of people have less money, but because they lost their job, but the people with money, they're saving because they're not going out for dinners. They're not having to buy a new, new dress for work all the time. They're working from home, right? And they don't have to spend the gas on the cars and, and don't eat out that much. But they're sick and tired of being in their four walls. Right? Sure. They're sick and tired of we're living in the high rise. They're sick and tired of living in the apartment complex, in the condo place. And and be afraid of walking down the hallway where the neighbor where the neighbor coughs and they're thinking they're having COVID, right? Mm. So they want, there's been this big surge of people wanting to buy properties on the outskirts of town or that mini ranch. Like RV sales are through the roof. Mm-hmm. RV rentals, probably half of my friends around the country took this year and rented an RV and went on an RV vacation. Right? So like everyone has rented an RV. And so this outdoors, exploring our own country, America, again, I'm a citizen now too, so it's my country now too. So exploring the country and having a place out there that you can call your own where you're kind of distant from everyone else is super sexy right now. So actually our students and ourselves, we are seeing our sales are cranking up like crazy and we're, we're, we're doing, last year was already the best year ever. This year is even better than last year. Awesome. Well, I, I love it, Jack, and I'm absolutely going to follow up with you some more after our interview so I could find some more information about this personally. But real quick, I want to hop over to our radio round because we're getting short on time. What is your favorite book? All right. So I'm going to be weird on that. My favorite book is, it's a management book that I fell in love with about management philosophy. When you have a business already bigger, it's called Turn the Ship Around which is a fantastic book about a guy that was a milit- uh, United States Navy officer. And it was about to give him the, they told him half a year from now, you're going to take command over this nuclear submarine. So he studied every system in that thing. He knew everything about that. And then two weeks before, they told him, okay, change of plans. Instead of taking that one, that brand new nuclear, sh- uh, nuclear submarine, you're taking the 30-year-old one nuclear, bo- nuclear submarine and taking that one over, which works completely different. And he's like, crap. So he came into that, though, and developed a management philosophy that I absolutely love, which is a management philosophy, which is not a top-down command military, that commander, basically the boss, decides everything and everyone else just executes. But it's a bottom-up approach where everyone becomes an expert in truly what they do. And everyone knows their stuff so well that they just go and say, like, there's still a command function of say, like, hey, we're going this direction. But then the team knows exactly what to do. And the boss really barely ever has to make any decisions because the team is empowered and is authorized to make all these decisions. It's a beautiful model that in reality, it's a true story, by the way, in reality got this commander to take this boat, which was performing performing last of all the American submarines in the fleet of nuclear submarines and brought it within one year to become the top performing nuclear submarine in the entire fleet with that approach. So we have implemented, we implement that approach in our team and we're constantly implemented and it's just has been a life-changing book for our company, for our customers, for our clients, because they don't have to wait until some boss makes a decision. Everyone that gets in touch with our customers, that gets in touch with a piece of land, has the authority and the knowledge and knows where the company's going to be able to make those decisions, which really makes my life now super easy. And Michelle's life, my wife is a co-founder and co-manager of the company, super easy because the team knows what to do. And it's a fantastic, fantastic management book. Awesome. I'll definitely check it out. What is your favorite quote? 
So my favorite quote is that uh, by, it was attributed to Nelson Mandela. It says, there's no passion to be found in playing small, in settling in a, for a life that is less than, than the one you're capable of living. In other words, I, when I'm old, I want to be freaking used up. That's and, right. And, and if you actually pay attention to it, you, have you wondered ever why the American presidents, retired American presidents, all, all become very, very old? You would think they're used up. They work so hard. They have like all this stressful job. They all turn white hair in a matter of three, <laughs> four years in the White House. Why do they live so long? Because they're being engaged. The more you sure. actually use yourself up, the more you engage mentally, the more you stretch yourself, challenge yourself, the actually longer you're going to live, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is you and Michelle's favorite thing to do outside of work? We love watching movies together. We love spending time with our 13-year-old daughter. We just love being together as a family. We just, we go hiking. We live like two blocks away from one of the best hiking trails here in, in the Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Paradise Valley area in Arizona. We, when the weather gets cools down again, we go, we go out hiking. We go, we just spend tough stuff together as a family all the time. Awesome. Awesome. Love to hear it. So where can our listeners find out more about you? How can they get in touch with you, get involved with your program, with your educational resources? Sure. They can go to very simply to www.landprofitfun, like fun, like having fun, landprofitfun.com. And they can also go to a group that we have. And inside that group, we are actually about to start. We do every once in a while, we do like a five-day free training where we teach everyone exactly what we do and how to do it. And they can register for that on landflippingclass.com, landflippingclass.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for joining us today. I really learned a ton. I really got excited about it. And I can't wait to uh, follow up with you after this call to learn a little bit more about it personally. So be looking out for our listeners to, to be ringing you to get involved. Thanks again, Jack. Have a thank great you for one. having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Cressworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.